So, from one kind of virus to another, we go back to our regularly scheduled programming this week, and we're going to talk a little <laughs> bit about security. Sai, how have you been? I've been good, buddy. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you very much. Um, slightly awkward moment, just as we hit record for the podcast. Uh, a roofer has just turned up at my house, so there's a small chance I may just disappear partway through the call. But we'll see how we go. Let's just go with it and see what happens. We'll, we'll find we'll find a nice AI uh, to replace you. I think we can, <laughs> yeah, we can that, generate those texts. That wouldn't be difficult, I think. <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, so we we've got a special that. guest today. We do, we do. We, we Actually, yeah, as you said, we're back with regularly scheduled semi-tech episode. And mm-hmm. this time we're focusing on security. And we have Dan from Alert Logic. Hey, Dan, how are you doing? Hey guys, I'm doing well. Thanks. Excellent, excellent. So, Dan, just for our listeners, can you give us a quick introduction and maybe a couple of minutes of background? Yeah, and and how they can stalk you on the socials as well. Uh, yeah. We love a bit uh, of social stalking. No, we don't. That sounds really. <laughs> no, <well>. we don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I could right. do with some social stalking, to be honest with you. My Twitter followers are not as high as they should be, so I'll definitely <laughs> plug that. But uh, yeah, Dan. Good, good. Uh, Dan Pittman, I work for Alert Logic, so um, been here like four or five years, something like that. Um, I've been in tech my whole life, really. Worked as a developer once and worked in IT ops and ran some big server farms and things like that. And now I'm in security, so not the usual order for that kind of acronym or <laughs> initialism, uh, dev opsec, but, you know, it gave me a good grounding to get into security. Um, Alert Logic is basically a a security company right we offer security to our customers we monitor all their things and wherever it may be um and we detect threats attacks give them visibility lots of good stuff um to make sure that they're not going to get breached and if they do get attacked then there's hopefully no impact from that breach and um, we tell them about it and what to do about it really so manage detection and response as it as in the current uh, the current um, vernacular Excellent. And one of our uh, one of our old security colleagues uh, from within Rackspace used to always say to me, "Just always assume compromise that it's going to happen, and it's actually how you're going to deal with it. It's going to be the uh, the better route to go rather than planning to try and block absolutely everything." Yeah, hundred percent. One a guy came up to me at a trade show um, a little while back and said, "How much do I need to pay you to to not get breached?" And I said, "Well, <laughs> the question is, how much do you need to pay us so that when you get breached?" You know, you you don't get impacted from it, and uh, you don't need to tell your customers that their their information's been stolen. So that's, mm-hmm. that's definitely the right the right frame of mind. Oh, I thought sorry for a minute there. I thought you meant you were moonlighting. So you were saying <laughs> how much does he have to pay for you not to breach his system? <laughs> no, 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 uh, no black hats. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, that makes complete sense. I think it's a it's a great way to start this episode off uh, and talk about breach and compromise but i think i think it all it all comes down to uh, as you said i don't think you can ever stop a breach but you can enhance the detection process so mm-hmm. so dan tell us about managed detection and response i mean it's a it's a phrase we've heard what what does it actually mean what is it well i guess the the main clue is in the second two words right how do you detect something yep. and how do you respond to it I always think the most important word is the first one, though, the managed bit, because there's lots of technology and tools out there to detect things or record data and give you alerts and so on. But the, the goal of managed detection response really on managed detection response vendors is to only let their customers know when something's a real problem, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that's why the managed bit is so important, because it takes humans, you know, security is a human challenge, 
Um, you've got humans on one side trying to breach and attack companies, and you've got humans on the other side, the defenders. And so it's so vital to have all the right people lined up to to know what's going on and make sure the technology is working and take the output and and um, understand it and triage it and things like that. So for me, I always think about sort of um, if we think about the sort of the longer term, the traditional model for security pro- providers was MSSP, managed security service providers. Right. And I think for me, they always kind of did anything with security in the name. And I mean by that, if you think about, say, a firewall, managing a firewall, right, is not does not necessarily need deep security expertise. You need mm-hmm. to know the applications that go through it, and you need to know all the bits and pieces that work together to make sure that your application can get through it and people can get through it to do their jobs. But you don't need to understand the threat landscape, and you don't need to do security research. You don't need a PhD in data science to do that stuff, right? No. You can do that with your IT skill set. So what MDR has done is sort of crystallized the what you need security expertise for and that's detecting threats and responding to them and providing technology to do that and providing people to do that so for me that's what mdr is about right really crystallizing the industry into what's needed to for good security outcomes yeah so it sounds like it's the uh, old adage about people process and technology but you're incorporating all three elements from a managed perspective to tech so, uh, so you're saying it's a combination of uh, actual security experts with tools to sort of make make reduce the detection time and respond to issues, essentially. Yeah, yeah exactly. I was going to say on the detection side. I mean, that must be absolutely critical because the sooner you're able to Sorry. detect, you know, going back to my original point, assuming compromise, yep. the quicker that you're actually finding out that you have been compromised, the quicker you can actually do something about it so i mean what kind of typical things do you see in that space in terms of customers who are taking a more robust approach versus uh perhaps being a little bit more lackadaisical in the security (laughs) field um so there's this thing in security it's been around for a long time called the cyber kill chain um i think it was developed by lockheed martin originally um, and we mm-hmm. talk about it quite a lot and you can kind of use it as a reference point. And it starts with things like reconnaissance and moves down the kill chain until they're getting to actually the attack and um, breaching the systems. And then at the end of the chain is this thing called action on objectives. In other words, they're, they're doing what they want to do. They're deploying their crypto mine or their malware or whatever. Um, and the real, the real benefit of MDR means that you move the detection to the left. So if we think about how little impact there is if you detect a potential breach at the reconnaissance phase, ideally, um, they, have, they haven't got in. But you've detected it and you've been able to do something about it. The problem with the reconnaissance phase in for attacks is that it's super noisy. Um, my favorite example is a tool called SQL Map, which is a, a, a hacking tool, basically, that allows um, attackers to breach SQL servers, right? And right. so you can do lots of different um, attacks in that in that with that tool, whether it's a blind SQL attack which looks cool or um, relies on timeouts on the server or um, you know proper sort of traditional SQL injection. That tool, SQL injections and SQL map, I think account for something like you know ninety percent of um, uh, the initial sort of breach traffic. But most of them are false positives in the end because they're not getting in and you're not vulnerable to it. 
And so that's where good technology and good people come in, because for a start, the technology obviously needs to be clever enough to to weed all that out, which mm -hmm. a lot of them aren't. And you need to progress that. Um, and you need good people to notice it, because that's the problem for most organizations, especially if they're trying to do security themselves. You know, it's easy to say this piece of malware is, is on my machine. But at that point, it's really too late, right? You've been breached and they've got in and you don't know what else they've done. And that's where, you know, the real heavy lifting is involved because you need to go around all your systems and check them. Right. So we can bring that to the left of the kill chain in effect or to the top of the kill chain as much mm -hmm. as possible. We're going to minimize the impact. We're going to reduce the cost of the breach and we're going to find things more quickly. But it's more expensive to do it there because it's, it's less obvious which ones you need to worry about. Mm-hmm. And it's it's funny actually because we're we're hearing the the kind of shift that shift left methodology yes. being yeah. applied in so many different areas in IT these days uh, because the earlier to your point you know the earlier we're catching things whether it be um, errors in code whether it be um, you know incorrect assumptions whether whatever it happens to be um, and then applied you know using your DevSecOps kind of approach again it's it, it directly applies in this mm -hmm. case. Um, Interestingly, for anybody who wants to go a little bit more into cyber kill chains, we actually did an episode with um, Danny, uh, Danny O'Neill, who was uh, in our security function. We did that, I think it was about a year yeah. ago, uh, still just as relevant today. So well worth having it. If you want to kind of go super deep dive into that, um, go back on to one of those older episodes. I think it was like episode two or three. So DevSecOps then, Dan, what are your thoughts on that? I think the sec is in the wrong place. Right, so uh, I've got to call you on that, the order of things. Like I sort of made a joke <laughs> at the beginning about my career going in a, in a weird order, but where mm -hmm. you put SEC is important, right? Because it's it's not a, a timeline like DevOps, the delivery SDL pipeline or whatever, however we want to reference it, is you do some development and then it goes into operations and devs involved and ops is involved and it's kind of merging those things. And so I prefer SEC DevOps because it implies that security comes first. But definitely security needs to be, you know, endemic, let's use that word, throughout the pipeline, right? You need to... In all the things. In all the things. Security, all the things is, <laughs> is the way forward, right? And it kind of, it's a, you know, we talk about security as code, and there's not too much of a yeah. big difference between security as code and infrastructure as code, because ultimately you need to have good, robust processes. But where it really pays dividends is... Is when you consider the whole part, the whole sort of pipeline, or the whole the whole gambit of things that you do for delivery. So yeah, we can conceive of ways of um, putting security first and making sure that our code is secure, for example. And then further on down the pipeline, we do good assessment, code assessment, or we vulnerability um, test our applications as they're going through UAT, for example. And then when they come out the other end, we've got monitoring and stuff like that. But if we make it, if we really think about it, where how it needs to be everywhere. Um, we can think about, well, how does infrastructure as code help us um, in a breach? So how yeah. does Phoenix rebuilds, for example, or our ability to um, manipulate our systems in a clever way help us when we get breached? And can we rebuild things or can we mm -hmm. automate, you know, moving them off or um, uh, ring fencing them and things like that? Um, yeah. And then you loop it back around. And so... And this is this is the trick with security, I think. This is the real trick with security that I found is convincing everyone it's in their best interest. And that was the hard thing 
for, for <laughs> DevOps and for developers and operations, essentially, because security slows down dev and it puts puts sort of constraints around operation where <laughs> it's perceived to, right? So it's I like Mr. Always... Kobayashi, isn't it? Like yeah. To convince, <laughs> convince the world he does exist. <laughs> you do. You do have to convince the world that security is real, right? Um, and so my example for that was, well, you need to take the, the fresh builds in operations. You've got some nice servers or something like that uh, that are patched. And they, that's what's used for development, not some clean AMI that's straight out of the box because you don't know if that's going to be the same or patched or whatever. And the benefit for dev is that the systems they're using for development and testing are the same as in production. So their performance testing, their UAT is going to be more robust and they're not going to have, they're going to have less surprises. So I think that's the trick with security is convincing everyone it's, it's, uh, Exactly. Right. I think I'm, I'm sure there should be a tool. You know, you know, Alex. We we we've on, on previous episodes we've talked about uh, the chaos monkey for infrastructure code, and, and then we talked about the. I thought the, you were going to talk about Kubernetes for a minute there, because you said previous episodes and every episode woo! we reference it at some point. So yeah, and, uh, okay. And chaos there comes monkey, Kubernetes. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Thank you for bringing that in. Um, I mean, we also talked about bees with what's that? Machine guns. Bees with machine guns. Indeed. Yeah, for workload testing. I'm sure, Dan, there should there should be a tool that's kind of like a chaos monkey for security. It just hammers your, your code with security issues and, and sees if it's any bugs in there that they can breach. I think, yeah, you're right. And I think that really highlights one of the biggest problems with the security industry and why MDR, in a sense, is a good thing from another point of view, is that it's so fragmented. You know, mm. even even within the MDR space right now, the managed detection and response space, there are different ways of doing that and different um, uh, definitions for what MDR should be in the same way that there was for MSSP in the same way there is um, for different security tooling in the past that people were using. Mm. And that's the hard thing, right? So, yeah, we can absolutely... Um, conceive of doing some vulnerability testing against an application or hitting things. But one of the challenges is that when we think about Chaos Monkey, Chaos Gorilla, the, the, the concepts around that, okay, a machine gets destroyed, okay, it gets shut down, okay, a security group fails or gets, gets wiped out, and all these things that they're relatively static in comparison to the threat landscape and in comparison to the security landscape. Mm -hmm. um, the number of if we think about the number of vulnerabilities that are disclosed weekly, it's, it's huge, right? Um, I can't remember what's the number off the top of my head. Probably hundreds at the very least, maybe a thousand mm -hmm. in some weeks of new vulnerabilities. So the hard thing is working out which one you need to care about sometimes. Mm -hmm. And building a tool that tests for them all is probably, you know, <laughs> the, the, the workload yeah. required would be massive. So that's one of the reasons why people is so important for security. So our researchers... They're keeping an eye, obviously, on blogs and dark corners of the internet and mm. doing their own reverse engineering um, to work out which ones of those threats are what we would call emerging threats. Mm. And this this isn't a zero day. So a zero day is a, a vulnerability that doesn't have a patch. This might right. be a 12-month-old vulnerability, right, that attackers just haven't been doing anything with, and now they're starting to, and actually it's, so it's an emerging threat. Mm -hmm. And one that happened a while ago was actually on Christmas Eve, Eve, I think, 23rd December, the year before last. Um, I think it was the year before last. Um, some struts attack, probably Apache struts, I think it was, something like that. So the, our researchers noticed, I think they were probably weren't in work, a blog, some, I think it was a Chinese blog that was uh, talking about this new vulnerability and they worked out a way of breaching it. And so they kick into gear and they go and work out how to detect it and how the best way of... Um, 
stopping it, obviously, and what vulnerabilities it depends upon. And then our, our sort of people, our scale allows us to say, okay, well, we can roll out detection content now. All right, it's the 23rd of December, but we're going to do it anyway. We can roll out detection content that's a bit broader, that's noisier, because we have a sock with hundreds of people in it that can trawl through the data. We don't need to make sure it's really fine-tuned straight away. And we can go around and call all our customers that are vulnerable because they're running our vulnerability scanning software as well. And that's kind of, that's the benefit of having a security vendor. That's the key benefit is that scale, right? Mm -hmm. I can't imagine any company I've worked for being able to respond that quickly, roll out detection, work out if everyone's yeah. vulnerable, you know, ring ring around anyone. Say, oh, my last company, there was something like 40 odd offices, 10 business units, would have been very hard for us to to sort of get into gear at that time of the year to to do that so that's that's the key and why it's tricky right so many vulnerabilities so difficult to work out which ones yeah. matter and that's what's hard you can't patch everything right i don't think yeah and the, the, i think the other thing to that that i've observed of late is you know we're looking at a very much more agile deployment methodologies for code and i, I had a conversation with a customer a couple of years ago where I said we can apply a really significant amount of security wraparound to your infrastructure and your environment, but ultimately, if the code that you're writing and deploying is not secure, um, we, you know, it's kind of like okay, we've put up a massive big fence and we've, you know, we've got guard dogs everywhere, uh, but actually, you know, somebody's just left the back door open. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, so the so the code that is being written is becoming a bigger and bigger uh risk vector especially as we're now releasing that code on a more regular basis because you know go back into the old days you talk about tooling for looking at um vulnerabilities in in application code but if you were only doing a release once every six months and you only probably had to check the release once every six months before it went out now you might be doing multiple releases a day you know how do we cope in this in this modern world where where things are moving so much so much more quickly i suppose it's a bit like the difference between like you say a locked door and a good guard dog plus monitoring system right so mm -hmm. you know yeah you can lock the door and hopefully keep everyone out but if you assume breach like we said at the beginning and someone's mm -hmm. going to get in you need more than that i think that's why mdr's become this big thing because you mm -hmm. you need money you've got to have monitoring you've got to find out what's going on as quickly as possible and then have good information about it otherwise all you know is I was breached at some point. There's still stories coming out now, right, where people are, mm. oh, we were breached three months ago. We just found out. We've obviously closed all the doors, but we're not really <laughs> sure what happened in that three months, right? And yeah. it's still, yeah. what was sad, I think last year, the average time, the dwell time, as we'd call it, the time that they were able to be in the environment went up a bit. Right. Um, wow. Uh, yeah. So it's just, I was, hang on, what's, this is Sounds counterintuitive with the amount yeah. of focus that we have on security. Is, you it? would think so, wouldn't you? But I think that relates to what you were talking about, the di digital transformation. Right? That's what we're talking mm -hmm. about. Everyone wants to move faster. Mm -hmm. um, and so it makes it much harder to, to keep all the vulnerabilities out. What I was thinking about when you were talking then was um, the difference in, if we look back a decade, we can talk about, it was like a castle right yep. well, i'm from wales so it's a castle um but <laughs> the uh it was a castle right we'd build our moat and we'd build our walls and we'd keep everyone out and all our systems are internal and yep. now it's like a hotel right because you want people to come in everyone's running a web application everyone's doing that online and everyone's got their their revenue model is tied yep. to digital so you want people to come in and why i like that analogy is it ties back to the cloud as well because cloud now means that you give out keys 
And I like that because then you, I love when you can extend analogies in all different directions, right? Because you give out <laughs> keys when you're in the hotel and you let people go out and they come back in and in the cloud, we give out keys, right? And they let you into the cloud system. And I think one of the most important messages I try and get, get, get across to customers and businesses I work with now is don't think about the cloud as a data center. It's not a data center. It's a system much like your server and it needs to be protected and monitored much like mm. your server because it has access and remote access and capabilities and things like that so it's much more it's it's a system now that we need to protect as much as the application and servers and so on and so forth so what, that's a, leads quite nicely into something i was going to ask you around actually which is so we have let's say more traditional style customers working in a in a private cloud setting or even a very traditional you know let's call it um virtual machines sat on top of vmware and you know a bit of tin and so forth uh, maybe not even as, as as scalable as a true private cloud um so what do you see from the from the kind of activities and the protection levels and the and the attacks going on varying between the the you know call it the hyperscaler public cloud space versus customers either running with managed service providers in data centers or in their own data center i think it's about it there's two there's two sides to that one is about what you're running ultimately. You know, we talked about web applications then and code and things like that. And so that's the same almost wherever you are. Your ability in the cloud to change and um, manipulate those systems and applications and roll new things out and have more automation is great. But ultimately, you're running an application. If it's publicly presented, that's the easiest vector for attackers. And that's the one that you really need to worry about. Um, because web applications, I think it's it's a massive percentage of attacks in comparison to, say, a decade ago. And then the other mm -hmm. side of that is how you map out your risk. So, you know, just talking about um, cloud being a system, that's an additional risk, in effect, within when you move to the cloud. If you're in a more traditional infrastructure with VMware, um, there are a few, you know, there's kind of niche um, vectors like um, the, I was going to say Heartbleed, but that's much older. I can't remember what the... The, the CPU vulnerability that came out last year was, but they're kind of, they're related to VMware, related to virtualization. Yeah. But then of course there's, you've got your traditional firewalls and you've got your traditional systems. One of the interesting statistics that came out last year was that hybrid workloads get more, uh, are more riskier. Interesting. And mm. if, if we think about security risk is driven by complexity then it makes sense, right? Because mm, the more complex your environment, the more complex your approach, the higher the risk and the more um, complex the, the approach you need to take within security. So, you know, having somebody, shameless plug, that monitors all those things in the same system in the same way is really important. Um, but I would say that the hardest thing people face, and I face this in my own career, is I want to move to the cloud. Okay, I've moved everything I can. Oh, there's all this stuff that's got left behind. And there's things that I can't move because they're legacy and they won't run in the cloud. Mm. Um, or there's things that people don't want to move because they're worried about availability or security or scalability yep. and all these things because we feel like we're in control on premise, don't we? A lot of people do. Um, so that's, I think, the hardest thing is those things that get left behind and the risks they present because often like i say their legacy they're not great they're liable to just be racking up the vulnerabilities as time goes by and those vulnerabilities are really well known so we think about okay well we're in the cloud we've got 20 percent of our stuff left on premise we're not going to invest in it oh wait the firewall's getting out of date all the systems mm. are getting out of date now we really need you know so you, it's kind of 
steady state doesn't work for security. We can't just leave things alone. And that's where the big risk comes from, I think, from, you know, stored cloud migrations, hybrid workloads, technology kind of fragmentation mm -hmm. in effect. Yeah. Um, that's why I think the cloud is good in a way because it's re removed the, the perimeter fragmentation. Mm. And by that, I mean, you know, the cloud perimeter is homogenous in effect and it's um, Amazon say, you know, problem to to monitor that and protect their perimeter. Mm, you haven't yeah. got a business with twenty different firewalls worrying about. But I, most people I speak to, most customers I speak to, have got some mix of things. I would say everyone's a little bit hybrid in some way, right? Yeah, well, I think what what I'm observing now a little bit more, especially in the, I'd say in the last twelve months in particular, is customers who are you know they they're going to go all in into the cloud um, with the things that they've been unable to historically move in the old days when you said you were limited by something you couldn't go to the cloud because you had something on prem that was legacy it was often something that was running on tin like mm. actual you know it was bare metal running nowadays a lot of the quote-unquote legacy workloads they're running on a virtual platform yep. but still sat within your traditional data center sometimes they might have you know the, the need of some very specific you know physical component or whatever but most of the time they're still running virtual so we're mm. seeing more and more customers doing a cloud move and then using uh, something like VMC on AWS or one of these types of products where you can kind of lift and shift your legacy, bring that with, so that then you're starting to reduce the, I guess, the scope of the perimeter that you're talking about there mm -hmm. to not being just within, or sorry, not being spread across two massively physically disparate, security disparate platforms and actually keeping them within one, one you know, let's call it an expanded segment. Um so I, th I find that's definitely a, more of a, a pattern we're seeing with organizations these days, which I think does help. But, yeah, I, but I guess the, the, the issue still exists, right? So you, you move those workloads into VMC, mm -hmm. but they're still on OS that is slightly behind. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're still oh, I didn't talk about upgrading oh, from yeah. you know, oh, XP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Can you run XP on VMC? Wow, that would be amazing. Um, but yeah, no, I think that that's then... it. Technically, then, from a security product perspective, that is still a hybrid cloud. That is not changed. The, the, mm -hmm. the field hasn't changed. You're still doing the same tackling, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's that's the, you know, we feel secure then, don't we? Okay, I've got the perimeter secure and I've got, I'm in the cloud. And say, let's say, for example, it's an internal system, right? And it's, it's not a web-presented system. They probably feel mm -hmm. a little bit secure with it. But we know from experience that lateral spread is a very real thing. And so mm -hmm. uh, what's well, a good example? A um, customer that will remain nameless when I went to speak to had one AWS account. And right. I spent, I don't know, half an hour gently trying to convince them that this wasn't a good idea. And I think for simplicity's sake, and of course, this is where security is kind of, you know, contradictory. We want simplicity, but you yeah, know, it's not always. Because you're encouraging that we should have more answer. spread in order to improve security. Right, right. But it's back to that thinking about the clouds as a system and you want to segment that system to some degree. And so eventually I had to use the testing analogy and well, how are you going to test changes you make to AWS itself uh, before they go into production? And then they were like, oh, okay, so we need two. And I'm like, well, maybe let's look at the security. And then once I'd got over that hump, I was able to talk to them about, you know, okay, this system's got this risk, this system's got that risk. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the hardest thing in security and why sort of circular, why MDR really helps is that mm. the technology answer to security necessarily had 
technology requirements that people would be looking for. So let's think about scene. And you had this, okay, we want single pane of glass and I need to be able to parse all my logs. So these are like technology requirements, right? Yeah, Whereas exactly. really you need to go back and you guys will know this from an architectural point of view, you always want to go back to first principles, go back to the beginning, work out yeah. what you want and what you've got and then where you want to be and then you can fill in the gaps. But technology requirements come into the middle of that, right? Because, okay, I want a single pane of glass to see all my stuff. Well, <laughs> do you right now, you're going to ingest all your logs, you're going to monitor all your logs, it's going to generate loads of alerts and you want all that in one single pane of glass. Well, this is a lot of work you've just generated for yourself. What were you trying to achieve? I wanted to be able to monitor for breaches for SQL injections because that's our key risk. All oh, right, okay. So let's start from that. Or you know, I want to be able to detect a breach within 15 minutes and I need 24-7 um, coverage for from a security analyst. Okay, great. These are now security needs and security requirements and outcomes that we're getting to. And it's even more important in security than it is. My background is more traditional architecture. Um, and you want to do that anyway, right? Come up with your yeah. principles. But it's vital in security. Otherwise... You just generate work that costs a load of money and you're not actually getting the outcomes because I think every seam, every technology tool I've ever seen um, that's built, that's meant to monitor breaches gets tuned into uselessness because people just, okay, this is noise, 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 and you tune it down until really it's not, it's now just an availability monitoring tool. It's not a security mm -hmm. monitoring tool. There you tool go. Anymore, you know? That's it. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, so many, so many situations we've come across where exactly the point single pane of glass and and you switch it on and we've had ideas right alert logic ideas as we put threat managers in our in our and so and then you go back to the customer and like oh yeah we got so many alerts that we switch it off <laughs> 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 it's it just completely defeats the point of mm -hmm. why we're doing okay awesome i think uh, we've had a good discussion on the the benefits and the value prop for mdr and and thanks for that dan i think it's really interesting to know uh, where it's come from. I think it'd be good to briefly talk about, and if, if you have some information around the MDR structure itself, and I know we, we, we have the MDR manifesto, which AlertLogic has built. Uh, tell us a bit about it. And also let's talk about how the relationship between AlertLogic, Rackspace, and not just AlertLogic and Rackspace, but also our customers, how, how does that, the three-way relationship blend in? Um, those those two questions really tie in together nicely, I think. So, you know, we talked about principles and we've talked about industry fragmentation and how the industry is kind of bad, I would say, that the security industry bad at, at saying the same thing and meaning the same thing. And so our security people wrote the MDR manifesto, which is a, a few-page document that tries to articulate what MDR should be, what are the outcomes that it should achieve for um, organizations, whether that be customers or partners that deliver MDR um, using other um, services. Right. So um, it's available on our website. You can go and download it. It's not gated. You don't need to put any details in. We'll, and really, we'll it's the link. Yeah, we've we'll got a link in our show notes. Yeah. It's our way of really trying to frame what managed detection response should be. Um, it's a couple of page document, as I said. Um, really tries to articulate the different aspects of managed detection response, what it takes to deliver it, and what are the outcomes that um, customers and other organizations should be expecting from MDR. You know, it's not a solution brief. It doesn't really talk about what alert logic do. It's a principles 
document that's produced by the security people in our organization. Right. Um, so you, you can go and download it. It's it's easy. We really want to encourage, um, you know, conversation around it. So um, I know the people that wrote it, I know the, that, that we've all talked around it a lot. And, you know, there's discussion internally. And what we really want to get out of it is a lot of discussion in the industry and around security people about what MDR should be and start to crystallize the, the industry a little bit more to make sure that the outcomes that security vendors services are delivering are appropriate, you know, because... I think because we mentioned earlier the dwell time the, the time that attackers spend inside environments and the cost of breaches for some people is going up and so there's still work to do as an industry i think to make to make sure these things um work properly for and deliver the right outcomes the the nice segue i suppose is that the big thing in, M, in mdr from our point of view is how do we do response how do we respond mm -hmm. to what we've detected and you know and that's really where our partnership comes in between AlertLogic and Rackspace because, you know, we can provide really great security expertise. We're great at developing good new detection technologies and building those into our processes, of, you know, people process technology stuff. Um, and we can really advise the best thing to do about those and deliver those as a complete solution. But where the partnership comes in with Rackspace is to deliver a complete response package and make sure that the response, the end-to-end -end response, whether it's being whether it's containing the threat, eliminating it, maybe even just notifying about it because you know it's not something we're going to do something about it straight away, is right. is end-to-end. -end. And so wrapping that up nicely with all the other services that Rackspace delivers to make sure the outcome is appropriate for the customer. And in effect, together we can make sure that they have peace of mind. They don't need to worry about it because the, the security is taken care of. Um, and before, in the past, you'd have to find five different tools and um, multiple different people on all sides. And really, together, we make sure that those outcomes are delivered. MDR is an is a end-to-end delivered thing. Um, and that's what that's why I love it, that, that partnership and why, you know, circular way security being a human challenge it takes a bunch of different disciplines and a bunch of different people all working together to deliver it whether that's someone that you know trawls through log data or somebody who does write phd level research or someone else who just patches a survey you know we need all these things working together to deliver security Absolutely. I find trolling through log data is a great way also of helping me get to sleep in the evening. So, uh, yeah, I, I often volunteer to help out our NetSec team. You, you'd, be a terrible, you'd be a terrible security person if you sleep trolling through yeah. log data. I, I did this presentation a while ago about how, um, you know, that, that they have to do all this trawling through data and, okay, it's not the best part of the job. And some of the analysts were at the, the show that I was talking at and they came up after and said, it's a great presentation, but you're wrong. We love it. We love trawling through all that data. It's the best bit because it's like threat hunting and we're looking at for new things and all mm -hmm. this kind of stuff so yeah it takes a certain type of person to want to want to do that but to love it yeah Excellent. absolutely Excellent. um so uh i'm getting i'm getting a feeling that we're running up on time now so i just want to say thank you very much dan that's been absolutely fantastic but before we go i want to uh get to what often it's one of my favorite parts of the show to be honest because this is how i fill out my <laughs> library of things to read in the coming weeks and months so um coming to the book recommendation section um, did you have a chance to have a wee think about something you might like to recommend to our readers and more specifically me so that I can go and buy it? Yeah, so um, one of my favourite little series lately, and I sort of I sort of gauge this by how excited I am about the next one, right? And I read a lot of science fiction, surprise, surprise. Um, and so um, 
the the next one that's coming out of this i'm really excited about and it's it's um next soon it's next month but is the uh the murderbot diaries series by martha wells um they're really good it's good sci-fi it's funny it's sort of irreverent and i Mm -hmm. i loved it you know i read a lot um and i read a lot of science fiction but that that lately was really great so martha wells if you look for the murderbot diaries that's definitely one um, they're, they're not too long. I think the, the current, the new ones are proper full novel. Um, they're not too long, but I think a lot of people when they see this might get put off by the, the initial cost because they're a little short, but they're worth it. It was worth every penny for me. Anyway. I love them. 100%. I completely agree. Actually, I've been reading the same series uh, and the next one comes out in, I think, six days time from when we're recording. Uh, so yeah. very excited about that. And I've already got it on pre-order. Uh, so yeah, completely agree. And uh, I will definitely be reading that at the same time. Maybe we should compare notes afterwards. Yes, 100%. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you very much again, Dan. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Just a quick reminder for everybody. So you, you didn't actually tell us how we can stalk you on the socials. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, LinkedIn's easy, right? Dan Pittman, you'll see me. I've got, I'm the ginger guy. I've got a ginger beard. You can't really miss me. Um, and then I'm not sure that's to... a filter in LinkedIn, if I'm honest. No, but when they see my picture, they'll know. They'll know. <laughs> And there's a few of us on, on LinkedIn, but Dan Pittman, um, I'm down as a problem solver trying to be all, you know, high level. And then um, on Twitter, final underscore hegemony, um, not got a huge amount of followers, so feel free to follow me. There's a bit of security on there, but my latest retweet was one by Ian Coldwater, who I follow, who's lots of security, but his was a tweet about how there are servers with network cabling in Animal Crossing, which I got excited about. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not all security maybe that's my problem <laughs> that's brilliant well thank you again dan uh thank you everybody for listening um uh, please don't forget to if you if this is the first episode you've listened to don't forget to subscribe using your favorite podcatcher um please do give us a review if you can take you know 10 seconds to just jump on to itunes or stitcher or whatever leave us a wee review um and uh you can also catch the show by visiting us at rackspace.com slash cloud spotting and until next time thanks very much and we'll see you again mm-hmm.